Hello and welcome to a time of edification with Caruso Ministry. Get ready to be edified and equipped to edify others. Ready? Let's begin. We are on Standard of the New Creation Continued, part or track nine. All right, this is the ninth track of the series. Hallelujah. I mean, so I want to start off tonight by just reminding you why we are doing what we are doing. You know, the Bible is made James chapter 1. James 1, I was telling you. You know, I want to ask you tonight, um, why are you learning God's word? Why? Why are you learning God's word? You see, because as I've told you guys before, you see, when it comes to spiritual devotion, one of the things that you need to recognize is that you can do everything right and still miss it wrong. You can do all of the things that you're supposed to do but when you do not understand the import or the importance of certain things, you miss it. So something very, very interesting happens with the Pharisees and the daughters of the law. Now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, look at the Pharisees. He says, you make tithes of human, you make tithes of everything and you have forgotten the weightier matters of the law. He says, this you ought to have done without leaving the other. Now, in that particular scenario, the issue clearly is not that they were not tightening. All right? The issue clearly wasn't that tightening, in fact, necessarily was a bad thing. And in fact, I'm going to teach about this when I teach on, I'm going to teach on money in July, all right? And I think in the later, we've seen on the theology of money, actually, where we're going to do a bit of a study into tithes and offering, and, you know, funny things that people have said over the years. But the point of it is this, is that the issue with these people wasn't necessarily that tithing was wrong. In fact, this was a Jewish practice. God gave right, and then a part of the law was that they were supposed to tithe. So the problem here wasn't the fact that they were tithing. The problem here was the fact that they were doing the things that they were doing without a very important understanding. And so Jesus says there are weightier matters of the law. And what are the weightier matters of the law? He says love justice and mercy meaning even though you tight there is a much more important way to tight if you are tightening yet there is no love at the end of the day what you are doing is a waste and i've told you guys before a very interesting example he also says in first Corinthians 13 where paul says though i give my goods to the poor and i give myself over to the bonds yet if i have no love it profits me nothing and it's a waste and i cannot seem to get over the idea of why anybody would be willing to carry all of their goods and give it out to the poor, yet not have love. But guess what? He says it's possible. It's possible. So meaning you can do everything right, but if the intention behind doing it is not right, then it's as good as you didn't do it in the first place at all. And that's something you always need to recognize. So you must approach spiritual devotion from a place of the why. You must know why. Why do I pray? Why do I study God's word? Why am I given to knowledge of God's word? Why do I spend hours? For example, I'm going to have Caruso Bible conference, you know, very soon. Where I'm going to have a combined, we are going to have combined 14 hours of studying God's word. Why? 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 And you see, because we've been so used to doing these things, all right, as a matter of religion, that we are not quick to ask ourselves why. And that's the reason why a lot of times when we get to certain points where we are confronted with the why, because let me tell you something, whether or not you ask the why. At some point in your life, the world will confront you as to the why. And so a lot of people, when they grow up, all right, when they you know begin to have some sort of you know, um, you know, uh, some power, so some sort of reflection about their lives, when they begin to ask, assess certain priorities, 
it gets to the point where then they get up to ask themselves, why do I do this? Do you understand me? So say, for example, you know, you, you went to, probably you were born into a Christian family, so you've always gone to church, secondary school, you continue that way, you go to university, maybe your parents were even able to have some influence on you, you know, you graduated into a school fellowship, you probably became a church, a, a, a fellowship leader, and continue that way to your final day. Now you get out of school, you are no longer staying with your parents, some money is beginning to come to your accounts, you have a, you have a job that you do in Lagos, where in reality a 9 to 5 is actually a 5 to maybe 11 or 12, as, as, as it stands. And now, you have to begin to reassess your priorities because the reality of it is this is that life is a game of priorities so now you only have to expend your energy for the things that you consider important and at that point in time certain realities begin to face you you understand me so then you begin to ask yourself why now it makes sense for example why i would go to the cinema i'll go to the cinema because i've had a stressful week i want to unwind it would make sense why i would want to chill out with my friends do you understand me but at that point in time you begin to block out your calendar for things like that. So, you know, one of the most interesting about adulthood is that you book hangouts on your calendar the way you book meetings. So, so you tell your friends, say, so for example, I'm going to meet on the 3rd of July. You tell them, I mean, you get my email of it. I've been just blocking up for calendar. You know, that's one of the ideas of adulthood. And so, at that point in time, you begin to assess your priorities. Why do I do this? And why do I do this? And sometimes it then gets to the point I've had a very stressful week Monday through Friday. Do you understand me? Start today and Sunday are the only days I have to rest. Why exactly do I have to commit myself to some three to four hours, you know, of the day when I could actually be resting? And in fact, if I want to satisfy my religious guilt, I could as well just sit down at home and put on, you know, YouTube and stream the meeting from here. Why exactly do I have to go? Why? Do you understand me? And then even more important, in a, in a church, for example, where there are certain commitments that you even have on weekends, so probably you have another commitment on a Saturday. Why exactly do I have to carry myself and you know to church for a particular setup the day before? And the reality of it is a lot of us don't actually have the answers to the why. We just do it because, well, that is what we are supposed to do. And so when we are confronted with the why, we oftentimes sometimes even take offense. When somebody asks you, why are you doing the thing you are doing? We take offense. I'm doing it for God. Mm -mm -mm. Explain why. You must have the why. So every now and then, one of the key things that aids your spiritual devotion is the why. Let me tell you something. If you find yourself being inconsistent in a particular spiritual devotion, chances are you don't know the why. You don't know the why. You see, because for example, a man who recognizes, for example, when it comes to prayer, a man who recognizes that prayer is not just some religious acts that I do every morning just to satisfy, you know, that bad feeling or that negative or guilt that negative feeling of guilt I feel when I wake up in the morning, I don't get to pray, all right? When you understand that I cannot afford to do life without the power of God that is produced in the place of prayer. You see, at that point in time, prayer no longer becomes, oh, I have to do this anymore. You know, it no longer becomes, ah, come on, let me do this thing because if I don't do it, I'll feel bad. It then becomes, I cannot afford to go through my day without praying. I can't. Because now there is a strong why. So you must always understand there has to be why to your devotion. Why do you pray? Why do you read your Bible every day? Why do you study God's word? So maybe, and I was thinking, I think I was, I was meditating about this yesterday, that maybe the problem you have, all right, is not that you are not disciplined enough. That's not the problem. If there is a discipline to Christian devotion, all right, where we tell you it doesn't matter how you feel, you have to do it. You know, you have to always make sure that you do it. But in reality, if every if everything you do in your Christian devotion is 
against what you feel like doing, then there's a problem. Because you see, because you are saved, you have the Holy Ghost within you. And so naturally, you have emotions controlled by God's Spirit. All right? Paul says, for example, in Philippians 2, verse 13, he says, it is God that works in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Meaning, there is something working in you that causes you to want to do the things of God. Ephesians 2, verse 10, he says, you are his workmanship. Whoever, you are the you are the evidence of his expertise. He says you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So meaning that by your very nature, you've been wired to do good works. It's just how you are made. You are made to do good things. That's just how you are. That's how you are. And so, if Christian devotion every time is always a function of duty, not delight, then there's a problem. If every morning when you wake up, you have to struggle to pray. Now, there are times like that, don't get me wrong. There are times when throughout the week, you literally have to it happens. <laughs> That's the honest truth. But listen, if for a, an entire month, every time when you wake up to pray, there are not days when you just jump up, jump up on your feet and then you just say, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. And you know, you are so energetic in your spirit, so confident of the power of God. Listen to me, there's a problem. And chances are you are losing out on the why. Losing out on the why. So that's why I'm going to retread that again. Man of God, what are your wife? You must have wives. You must. You see, even in business, I'm, this is something you're going, going to realize. You see, in branding, all right, when we talk to, when you talk to a particular business organization in branding, and you want to create a brand identity, a specific brand identity for them, you see, a lot of people can have the same words. By what it means, what, what do you do? Say, for example, MTN Glow, MTN Glow, FLAT Salam. The same thing, telecommunication. That's it. You know, how do they do it? Most of the time, or a good number of times, the how can be the same. Do you understand? How you do it can be the same. But listen to me. One thing that is always specific to people is the why. Always. In fact, I think I was listening to it. I think I was I watched a particular video by Simon Sinek. And he was explaining, you know, that about businesses, all right? And he was trying to show the three circles of the business, the what is the biggest, the how is the second biggest, and then the why is the smallest. Why is usually personal. And so in every sphere of life, the why is important. Why? So even in, in supernatural, in spiritual devotion, why? Why? You know, Jesus spoke about it in prayer. When he was talking about how not to pray, you realize that what Jesus was actually correcting them on when he was telling them how not to pray, was to have the wrong wives. So, so, so for example, it tells you, don't be like the Pharisees who pray in public. Why? Because they are doing it for, to be seen of men. So in reality, what Jesus was correcting was the wrong wife. Because the right wife matters. It does. And so when it comes to learning God's word as well, why exactly are you, you know, taking some more than 30 minutes of your Sunday evening when you should be resting by the way? When you should be sleeping? Or when some of your friends are reading, why exactly are you doing this? Why? Why? And you see, that why is what will help you. At times when, at the points when you no longer feel like coming around, because don't get it wrong. Let me tell you something. I've always made a joke, actually, that I've always noticed a pattern, all right, in new disciples or new folks that join. This is how it usually goes. The, the initials reading gym, period. You know, that time when every, we are showing up early for meetings. I mean, <laughs> they are sorry about that. From the beginning, God, they are just not, you know. But usually, there's always that place where you're showing up early for meetings, you know, by the prayer meeting, you're already there by 4 55, you know, so on and so forth. Then, after some time, it begins to go down. It begins to go down. 
You see, at that point in time, where the excitement is going away, that is actually when training begins. I told you before, I'm not so always easily excited about things. Because you see, at the point when excitement is going away, it's just the way everything works. Same way it works in relationships and stuff. At the point where that honeymoon phase, eh, when it has officially closed, you know, there's a point where you know we're no longer at the honeymoon phase in this relationship. That point when you know the giggle that used to make you think she's very cute. Now you're like, probably you share my giggle back with your long. What kind of distance is this? That point eh, when you know honeymoon phase has ended, that's when the real work just started. Do you me? And so there'll be times like in your spiritual devotion where maybe initially when you just had to learn God's word, just had to hear about the truth of redemption, about in Christ realities, I'm saved, I'm justified, I'm forgiven, so on and so forth. Initially, they switch your money. Ah, you need to do. <laughs> ah, ah, the word is sweet. And you're confessing, oh, in Christ Jesus, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this, I'm that. Then it gets to a point. It's no more sweet again. Yes, sir. It's no more doing your body you used to do anymore. Now, you know, in Christ Jesus, I'm sanctified, of course. I'm justified, I know, so on and so forth. You see, at that point in time where excitement has gone away, eh? at that point in time where you now need to train yourself to sit down and listen to the word, even when you don't feel like it and you're not enjoying it, that is the point where training starts. And let me tell you, the reason you'll be able to do that is that you have the correct why. Are you with me? When you understand the why. So why do we learn God's word? I'm going to give you a very important word. Go to James 1. James 1. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. James chapter 1. We're going to be reading from verse 18. James chapter 1 and verse 18. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. James chapter 1 and verse 18. And I, I, I believe this is a very prophetic um, um, admonition tonight. Because I just sense that, you know, the, um, 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 let me start by saying, you see, a lot of times we have a very streamlined view. Of how the prophetic operates, all right. So a lot of times we expect that, oh, you know, when we hear the prophetic manifestation, we expect that the way it just works is someone just comes to meet you and tells you in the next two, three days, this, this, and this, and this is what we have, and so this is what you should do and do like that. And now, don't get me wrong, things like that have seen stuff like that happen in Carrizo ministry, happens quite often. But you see, some other times, prophetic directions, in fact, at the end of the day, sometimes it says something when you understand certain things, it makes you more. It makes you less excited about prophecies. Let me explain what I mean by less excited about prophecy. You see, a man that prepares more for prophecy is more important or matters more eh, than a man that is just aware of prophecy. I'm going to say that again. A man that prepares for a word of prophecy matters more, all right, than a man who is just aware of prophecy. And so this is the reason why Paul is speaking to Timothy, for example. Paul speaking to Timothy tells him, these prophecies that have gone ahead of you, he says, pay attention to them so that by them you will a good warfare. Meaning there is something to do because of these prophetic words. But you see, the problem is a lot of a lot of times people get excited by words of prophecies and they don't pay attention to certain sometimes certain responsibilities they have to do, certain things that they have to do. They don't pay attention to those things and they focus too much on the excitement of the prophecy that at the end of the day, in the fulfillment of the prophecy, they no longer have their place. Because they are paying so much attention. So God has said this, and God has said this, and God has said this. And of the truth, He has said it, and it's going to come to pass. But listen, you have a part to play to be a part of it. There is a way you position yourself to be a part of God's prophetic words. There's a way you do it. Do you understand me? So it's not just enough to just get the side of God said this, and God said this, and God said this. What is it I am to do? How am I to work a good warfare? That's what it is you're supposed to do. What are those instructions that God has given me? And here's something very funny. Eh? Let me say, let me say this. 
if you find another man who is not necessarily aware of prophecy, but just happens around that time to be doing things in line, are we together? To be doing things just in line with when that prophetic word is happening. Here is the funny thing. He will receive results. He will. That's the truth. Let me give you a regular example. So now, God, for God wants the Israelites to leave Egypt to, you know, to, you know, wherever. And what he wants them to do is to worship. That's what he wants. Now, God knows that he's going to tell the Israelites to build him a temple. He knows that already. Now, the Israelites don't know, right? All the Israelites know, all right, is that we are under bondage in Egypt. We want freedom. They, not, they don't even have an idea that from 400 years ago, God has already spoken to their ancestor, Abraham. And he has actually told them that, and he has actually told Abraham that, listen, your descendants will be, um, they, your descendants will be Sabbath in a foreign land. And then after, you know, 400 years of that, or after a couple of years of that, I'm going to deliver them by a strong hand and so on and so forth. Now, they don't know. All they know is this, we're in bondage. And then they are praying to God for a deliverer, all right? Or that God will deliver them. And to them, in reality, let me just tell you what the average Israelites would have seen. We are praying to God for deliverance. God sends a deliverer. He comes around. He delivers us. And not only does he deliver us, as we are living, he, they gave us all manner of gifts and goods. Now, Israelites, have, Israelites in this scenario have become rich men. And if you are just to sit within the context of the Israelites, you would think all that happened was just, oh, nice things just happened for these guys. But if you zoom out, and you see things starting from when God spoke to Abraham up until when the Israelites rebuilt the temple, you realize that the seeming good fortune of the Israelites was as a function of the prophetic words already spoken to Abraham and God's plan for the temple to be built in the wilderness. Are we together? And so the Israelites unconsciously just happened to be people who profited out of that prophetic direction. So they were not necessarily doing anything. And so that's what you need to realize. Let me say, let me say something. That the man is walking in prophetic direction, even if it's unconsciously, is way more important than the man who is aware of prophecies and, and is not doing anything. It matters more. So you shouldn't be so and if, see, when you understand this, you know it matters more that I'm doing something than that I'm just aware of what God is doing. God is doing this in the land. God is doing this in the land. It doesn't, it's not so much as much as what are you doing as it concerns what God is doing. So that's subconscious as the reality. So the Israelites don't know anything. They have no idea. They don't know, they are not studying any word of prophecy. To them, they just pray to God for God to deliver them. Do you understand me? And then as they are deli as they are being delivered, now they have, you know, as they're asking the Egyptians for gold and silver and so on and so forth, the Egyptians are giving them. To them, this is just, oh, this is just so nice. This is nice. We're enjoying. Oh, God is good to us. They don't know that prophecies have been spoken years years ago about what was what was happening. And because God knew a, a temple was to be built, and they needed resources for that temple to be built, that was why what was happening was happening to them. So now, the good fortune they seem to have is as a function of that which God is doing behind the scenes. But they don't know. But guess what? They still reap the fruits and the benefits. So you need to understand. If you ask God for rain in the year of the latter day, you will receive more rain than ever before. And you will think, oh, this is God's hand because of my prayer points. Not necessarily. There is something God is doing behind the scenes that you just happen to be a part of and you have received the reward of the same. That's it. 
That's it. So God, for example, is trying to preserve Elijah. And then he just happens to send him to the widow of Zarephath. And you need to understand, there is nothing special about this widow at least. Nothing that we know from scripture. But listen, the prophet has to be kept alive. This woman just happens to be the channel through which this prophet will be kept alive. And so for that reason, she's also kept alive with that child. So it's not because there is something necessarily special about her. Just that it's not necessarily because she's some apple in God's eye. She could be, we don't know at least we're not going from scripture. But guess what? Elijah needs to be kept alive. So there has to be a woman to provide food for him. And so what now happens? This woman and her family is kept alive. And so it matters more that you are doing something. So, I mean, the best thing ever, of course, is that you know that which God is doing and you know what to do, all right, to align yourself with that which God is doing. But listen to me, even if you didn't know, all right, and you were just taking your own steps, and just like Isaac, you've been sowing in the land, and now a particular year comes, you sow in the land, and then you reap a thousand fold. You know, I've always said this, and I don't know why I'm just branching through these things. I just, I, I believe it's a promise my spirit of God. You know, you know, there was a time when a lot of people were talking about, you know, Kairos and Kairos moments and, you know, specific opportune moments. And I said something to, and, you know, when I was, I, was, I think I was discussing with a friend, and I said something very key. And of course, one of the verses that was used was Isaac and how he sold in the land and he reaped, and he reaped a thousand fold and stuff. And I said, and I asked my friend a question. I said, do you think Isaac knew that if I sow today, I would reap a thousand fold? And that's a very important question because you need to understand. For the Bible to have documented that he reaped a thousand fold in that year, it means that kind of harvest was not the usual harvest. But guess what? Isaac was a farmer. He was one that sowed normally. And we are not told that God necessarily told him anything about the time to sow or the time to reap. All we know from scripture is that there is a prophetic direction that happened from the days of Noah, that there will always be times of sowing and times of reaping. So according to the law, the natural law of the earth, you sow, and after a particular time, you reap. But now, there is a prophecy over the lineage of Abraham, all right? There's a prophecy over these people, all right? I think, for example, you see, for the kind of things that God wanted to do through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob, they needed to be a mighty nation. And in order to grow to the extent of being a mighty nation, you need resources. You do. Do you understand me? And so... There were certain things that had to play out. So now, Isaac doesn't necessarily know that something special is going to happen this year. All Isaac knows is I'm a farmer, so I am supposed to consistently sow, so that I will also consistently reap. That year, chances are, just like every other year, Isaac just sowed. But now, that is the year where there is something happening that Isaac might not necessarily be privy to prophetically, but guess what? He will still reap the fruits of it. And that's something you need to realize. So it's not every time you just get excited, you want to know what God is, you want to know what God is doing, it's fine. But sometimes, just do what you've been doing. Do you understand? Like Peter, just continue putting your nets in the water. You never know if this is when, this is the day Jesus will pass by, and now you drop the same net, and the same place you've been dropping the nets to, and you've not been seeing results. Guess what? You will drop the net. And now you won't even be able to catch the harvest so much so the net is breaking. You now need more people to help you. So sometimes it's not just awareness you need. Sometimes just do what God has done. Just, just stay with what you've been doing. Just stay with what you've been doing. The day you align with, with a certain prophetic event happening, the same thing you've been doing will yield supernatural results that will shock you. Hallelujah. I don't know why, I, to be honest, I don't know why I went there, actually. I just, I just said, you know, 
a nudge in my face in that direction. Now go back to James 1. James chapter 1. I was talking about why we do the things we do, particularly why do we then go to look at James chapter 1 from verse 18. From verse 18, thank you, Lord. From verse 18, he says, of his own will, okay, let's start from verse 17. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of light, with whom is no variableness in a shadow of turning. Now, you know, this particular verse, and I just want to, I don't want to throw this book to you guys, it's just something for you to think about, all right? I'm not saying anything, but you know, I find it very interesting when people quote this verse to thank God for material things. I find it quite interesting because, you know, and I'm going to explain. Then, for example, you got the car. You got the car. And, you know, in giving God thanks for the car, which you should by the way, right? Because all that we have come from Him is the one who meets our needs. Even though we work, we recognize the fact that He's our source. Do you understand? And all that we have comes from Him. And that's totally perfect. But when you now, in, in giving thanks to God for your car, you say, Father, we thank you because all things, every good thing and every perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift are above. Comes up from the Father of Light, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Genuinely, I just genuinely want to ask the question: Do you really believe that that your car is good and perfect? Just a honest question. Do you really believe? You, you see, you can talk about the goodness of God without without being, and I say this with all sense of reverence and respect, without being. Ah, I feel like the word for my lips is too. Heavy, because I don't even mean it's this thing, but just be honest with the Bible. It can be a car. A car is not a car can be good, but it's not perfect. I'm not kidding. A car. One of the ways you make a car is not perfect is that chances are you're not buying the latest version of that car. <laughs> it already shows. You understand? Respectfully, you buy, let me shade myself. You buy Toyota Camry. You understand? You buy Toyota Camry 2010. You don't see every good year and every perfect thing. No, no. Let's never go too far. Just that. That Toyota Camry, you didn't buy the full option. <laughs> you bought the probably the limited edition. So, I mean, obviously that's not good and perfect. Just that. The same car, you go and service it. All things being equal. You service it from time to time. So, it's kind of not good and perfect. So, just be, sometimes, just think about this thing and say, ah, no, combustion. this doesn't make any sense. So, obviously, when you were saying every good and every perfect gives from above, Comes from the Father of Light, whom is no very very a shadow of turning. He could not have been talking about something material. He could not have. He could not have. And it's something I'm going to show you in what while I teach, uh, while I teach on money in July. That you see, materialism is not just materialism is not just a doctrinal stance. Materialism is actually an hermeneutic. And by hermeneutic, I mean it's a way of interpreting scriptures. You see, it's like a glasses. Just the way you wear your glasses, and then your glasses filters everything you see, such that what you are seeing is a function of what the glasses allows you to see. Do you understand me? That's exactly the way materialism is. It's what's like a filter. So the moment you open your Bible, you begin to see everything through the lens of materialism. So verses that normally anywhere you see prosperity, you just believe it's talking about money. Your brain cannot even open up to just think you're talking about something else because now you've been blinded, and that's what that's really what you have in James 1 and verse 16. Because there is no way. It takes just sitting down to think to know how every good is a perfect gift. Can be refined to money. Can be refined to house. Just that. It can be refined to God giving you a wife. <laughs> a husband is far from <laughs> every, every human being on earth is far from being both good and perfect. Good, yes, perfect, no. So it could have been talking about that. And luckily, it actually tells me the answer in the following verse, in verse 18. He told you that every good and perfect gift is from above, 
comes down from the father of light, whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. He then tells you the following verse of his own will begat yours by the word of truth that we should be a kind of person of the spiritual. So when he was talking about every good gift and every perfect gift, who was he referring to? He was referring to the men in Christ, the new creation, who he has begotten by his will, that we should be a kind of person of the spiritual. So we are so the people who are good and perfect are actually the new creation. Those men who have been saved and ransomed in Christ Jesus. And we are good and perfect because we cannot be improved upon. You see, the new creation is, is the is the and that's the reason why Paul calls you in Ephesians 1 verse 10. He calls you God's workmanship. I told you before, the word the word workmanship is the Greek word poema. P-O-I-E-M-A, poema. It actually means you are the you are the show of God's expertise. You know, let me explain what that what that word means. You know, when it comes to certain artists, and this is the example I like to use, when it comes to certain artists, you know, there are certain works by certain artists that stand out. And this usually happens most in the creative industry. They always talk about there are certain works that you do, and chances are you will never do a work like that again in your life. That's the honest truth. For example, writers as well, they always say things like that, that writers, for example, have, there are certain books that you write, you just know, I, I can't talk this again. It's just not possible anymore. All right, and so that particular book, for example, becomes an evidence of your expertise. Meaning, this book shows the highest level of what you are capable of doing. What you are capable of doing—that's what he refers to. So now he tells you that the new creation is God's workmanship. Meaning, when we look at all of the things that God has created, the one thing we look at that makes us know, damn, God, God has finished work is the new creation. Is a new creation, and it's because a lot of times we want to talk about how powerful God is. We like to talk about the things that He has created in the world, the natural things, you know. And then we say, "Oh Lord, my God, when I know some wonder, say, consider all the, the works that hands have made." And then you move on. You say, "I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder." And so, in we try to establish that God is a powerful God. What do we see? We see the stars. We see the moon. We see the sun, we see the thunder, <laughs> you know. And so we see the say, Yeah, you know, you know, those things we see to make ourselves feel, Ah, this is God, you know, those nice things. But in reality, it tells you that which a man sees and shouts, Wow, such a God is the new creation. So, I mean, a man sees the man in Christ and says, This is. This is the most that God, like this is, this is it. This is God in action. That's God. Hallelujah. So it tells you the new creation actually matters more in the scale of comparison than the sun and the thunder. As beautiful as the universe is, and trust me, the universe is beautiful. As amazing as it is, you know, it always blows my mind when I hear, for example, that, you know, yes, that it is, for example, like maybe about 60 to 70% of the world's water bodies have not yet been explored. And that's just crazy. What do you mean? With the way we've, you know, we've been able to create equipment that can dive into different kinds of places and can go as far as possible into, into the water. And so you still tell me that about 60 to 70% of the water bodies in the world are still yet to be explored. And so you imagine what kind of things are we still left to find? What are the secrets of the universe that we have not even come about? And so when you see all of those things, you might be forced to say, God is such a magnificent God. And of the truth he is. And those things should actually let you say those things. But see, at the end of the day, in comparison to the new creation, those things are learners. 
Those things are learners. So we see the new creation and we see the skill of God's expertise. Because you know what? You see, in the, in the birth of the new creation, we see the greatest display of God's power. Don't forget Ephesians 1 verse 19 says, What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who we believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Meaning, the greatest display of God's power we saw was when he raised up Jesus from the dead and set him at his right hand. And don't forget that Jesus died and was raised again, not for himself, but he did it for us, that we, like him, should be raised. Are we together, guys? So in reality, God went through that display of power just for you and me. And I promise you, it took way less power to create the entire world. Because you need to understand, God, Jesus is God as a man. So when you saw Jesus raised from the dead, that was literally God being raised from the dead. So that's what you see. And so imagine, how much power does it take to raise God? It has to be all of all of the power. It's not that simple. It has to take all of the power of God to raise God as a man from the dead. And so the greatest display of God that we see is actually salvation. It's not in the creation of the world. The creation of the world is mighty, don't get me wrong. Because some people then go into the extreme of making it look like as though, you know, um, you know, you are not supposed to see things in the earth and just, you know, lift your hands and magnify God. You should. But in reality, you cannot compare those things with the new creation. The entirety of the universe, I think there were multiple universes, or the multiverse as some people call it, they still will not come close to the deposits of God in the man in Christ. They will not come close. And so when James then begins to speak in James 1 verse 17, and he says, All every good thing and every perfect gift, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of Life, which is no variableness or shadow of turning. Who was he referring to? He was referring to you, the new creation. He was referring to me. Hallelujah. I'm good at perfect. Hallelujah. I cannot be improved upon. Now don't get it wrong. <laughs> so that you don't just say, so because we said you are good at perfect, you now say. Uh, you know all those uh, all those motivational speech. Say I am. How do you say it? I'm enough. You are enough. <laughs> yeah, I agree. No problem. But that does not mean that, that your terrible attitude. You should not change it. You know, um, you you keep malice. That's terrible. You need to do better. Actually, that's a very toxic trait. So when we say that the good the new creation cannot be improved upon, but not by your nasty behavior. No, we are saying as the reason of the spirit of God that work in you by your spiritual nature. You are complete and perfect. Your mind can be renewed, or your mind, in fact, should be renewed because your mind needs renewal by the word. But your spirit is not getting any better. Your mind is just catching up with the realities of your spirit. So all that you need, for example, in life, all that you need for life and godliness is present in your spirit. All you need to do is to renew your mind to catch up with the realities of your spirit so that you now begin to live as one who is truly saved. And that's the reality. So you need to understand, you don't need any improvement of one. You don't need it. You don't need to get better in your spirit. No. Can you get better in your mind? Yes, and you should. But in your spirit, you are good. That's the reality. You are good and perfect. That's what you are. Cannot be improved upon. You see, there will never be a day when there will be a new creation 2.0. Never. You know, in fact, the only thing we are looking forward to is the redemption of our bodies. And guess what? It's not something that God will just do. No. It has already been done in Christ. In Christ, it has. And that's the reason why we know, for example, as a function of the work of salvation, our, our bodies have already been paid for. That's the reality. So we are just waiting for those for us to take up the new bodies. It's not as though we are waiting for God to do something so that those new bodies will not be received. No. Already they have been paid. The spirit of God did not see the down payment. 
So we know already that we have those bodies. We are just waiting for that time. And that's the reason in first John 3, from verse 1, he says, Behold, O man of love, the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. He says, Yet the world does not know us yet. All right, he says he does not let appear what we shall be, but we know this when we see him, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. So it's a confidence we know it's not oh God is about to do no, he has done it. We are confident of it that he has done it. We are just willing to receive it. That's it. So you need to understand. So when he says good and perfect, he's referring to the new creation. Hallelujah. So now let's continue. So in verse 19, he just said, You are good and perfect. And this is beautiful, actually, because it explains what I'm trying to say. He just calls you good and perfect. Complete, complete in him. All right. Then he then began, and he says, "Of his own will begat you, begat us by the word of his truth." So we are begotten by the word. We are born of the word. We are men who are begotten of God's word. That's our very nature, in nature of God's word. But then he continues to say in verse nineteen, he says, "Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath." He says, "For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God." I know this is a very key part. So now, because you have begotten God's word, all right, he then begins to give you an instruction. He says, be swift to hear, slow to speak. And I think it's a very important instruction for young people. In fact, for every believer, when it comes to God's word, and as I'm going to show you very soon, be swift to hear, slow to speak. Don't, don't, don't just learn to be a good listener. Let's hear. You know, some of us are actually quite terrible at it, to be honest. A lot of us don't just know how to listen. We don't know how to just want to be able to say something. He says, be slow to speak. Be sweet to hear. And then he says, be slow to wrath. Why? He says, because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You see, one of the things that I've been able to learn by the grace of God over the years is learning to draw the line between passion, all right, and anger. Because you see, a lot of times, because we are young people and we are very energetic. A couple of times we can mistake favor for anger. That's the thing. We can easily mistake favor for anger. So, for example, anybody, for example, who teaches that salvation is by work, oh, come on, badger. You know that you're always fighting, always fighting. And then we look at him and we think, ah, such a man of the world. He's not only like a man of the world, he just likes the do. He just does. You know, I remember, I, always, I, remember, I always remember the experience where in my, I think my tutorial level there about, I had a three-day argument with people, people on the WhatsApp group. I mean, three days. Like, we will sleep, we will wake up for the argument. Now, I was going for lectures and everything, you know, but me, in that form, <laughs> let me tell you how crazy that this thing went. Of course, I mean, it's from arguing as regards assurance of salvation, eternal salvation, and we argued from there and somehow we count through the entire Bible. When I say entire Bible, like the entire Bible, just think about this. We were arguing about eternal salvation and we landed on Job. Just think about that. We landed on Job. What what, what exactly are you trying to teach in eternal salvation that has to bring you to Job? We got to I just wanted to so at a point it was no longer about getting them to understand God's word. I just wanted them to know, listen, we're mocking me doing long. You get, and so it wasn't anymore about getting them to learn the word, it was just about showing off, just showing them that they don't know anything. That was it. So I was just entering any matter, I was entering, not entering. But listen, and now I look back and I just laughed. <laughs> First of all, because I mean, a lot of people who argue those things now are teaching it. 
Whether they are teaching it because they are convinced or because it's the reigning thing, only God knows. But they are teaching it. <laughs> Hallelujah. But in reality, when I look back at those things, it just makes me realize that so that you see a man fighting, just that you see a man, you know, you know, doing extra doesn't necessarily mean he's convinced. Sometimes, oh God, like Ija. <laughs> that just he just likes Wala. He might just be extra energy that is bubbling up his body. For example, when you see Peter and he cuts and he cuts off the ear of Matthias, you think, ah, uh-uh, this man lost Jesus. Forget, ah, uh-uh, ah, <laughs> The same man, the same night, you know, in the right dream, it was another night. The same night, after I cut somebody's ear for him, the same night, it denied Jesus three times. <laughs> so sometimes, some people are just extra. It's not, that, it's not like they love God that much. They're just extra. And so he tells you here, he says, we slow to rust. The rot of man, the rot of man does not work the righteousness of God, leading to the man of God. Sometimes what you call the fight of faith is not a fight of faith. It's a fight in the flesh. You resorted to the flesh. You say you are arguing scriptural truths and you are calling people names. No, that, that's actually the work of the flesh. That's the rot of man. And guess what? It does not work the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It doesn't. So it's not just okay that we are arguing for Bible truth. We must argue for Bible truth the way God would have us argue. We must argue as spiritual men, men who are still filled with the fruit of God's spirit, love. Do you understand me? So even when you're arguing with someone that regards the Bible truth and they are frustrating you to be, they can see all the facts, they just chose not to receive it or to accept it. Guess what? You don't just resort to calling names, saying, Oh, Mama Jare, what you mentioned here? Ori MC. Nah, we've not sold them cards. Guess what? The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. And let's continue. He then says in verse 21, he says, Well, for lay apart all filthiness, and I love this verse. He says, Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity, all right, or overflow in certain versions of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. And there's so much to unpack here. So he tells you, Lay apart all filthiness. Now, he's talking about being a doer of the word or being a learner of the word, all right. He already tells you, we swim to hear, slow to speak, slow to roll. Now, when he says, lay apart all filthiness, this filthiness he's talking about, and then he talks about superfluity of nothingness. Is he saying, don't do bad things, don't do bad things, don't do bad things? Or will what he's saying, because he just tells you, and receive with meekness the engrafted word is able to save your souls. So, you need to think in context. When he says, lay apart all filthiness, is he saying, ah, make sure your clothes is not dirty. Lay apart all filthiness. Is he saying don't do bad things? Or is he saying lay apart all filthiness in your mind? Superfluity of nothingness in your mind. Why? Because you have to receive with meekness the engrafted word in your mind. It's a conversation of the mind. Wherever you are to lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of nothingness has to be the place where you receive the word. Because this is something you have to do in order that you may receive the word with all meekness. And of course, meekness here, when he says receive the word in meekness, he's not saying that receive the word as you're just, you know, you're sitting there and you're just meek. You know? <laughs> One of the things that Bible teaching will teach you, all right, is that sometimes those very meek people that, that, that listen to yourself, those people that, you know, they look like people like <laughs> Sometimes, hey, you know when we are praying against false notion and ideology, when you are talking about, you know, um, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, those items, sometimes, it's in those people that they just look, those, sometimes, it might be shocking that the people that look like gangsters, they will listen to you. They have no problem. But you see, when you hear stronghold, 
<laughs> you see those people that they look so man of godish you know they look like they are sitting down they have a filter in their mind everything you are saying is just flapping it's not going anywhere <laughs> you understand know and so you need to realize that when he says receive with meekness the meekness here is not just that you are sitting down quiet when you are listening to the word no it's a meekness of the mind there is a meekness of the mind there is such a thing as a sobriety in your mind where you recognize the lordship of the word in your mind it's not a function of ideologies i've had before you see a lot of us we come to church to receive god's word through the filter of our intelligence so pastor is saying what he's going to say i'm listening to him but i was the one i want to do sharp now that's not meekness now it doesn't matter if when pastor sees you after service on sunday you say sir pastor sir how are you doing sir is everything okay sir you know the way you say you don't like that's the honest truth it's not just by saying sir, sir, sir. so that's not the meekness he's talking about there is a meekness in receiving the word a meekness where you 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 submit your ideologies to the ideologies of the world what does the word say if the word says this then i receive correction i receive correction you know it's one of the things i always do to my heart every now and then i always check I, 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 I just i genuinely when i hear god's word if 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 there is an area of my life where i'm faulting and i hear god's word concerning that area and there is not an immediate remorse in my heart there's a problem there's a problem because God's word must still be able to correct me. It must still be able to correct me. I must be able to hear certain things in God's word and my heart is pricked. If you ever get to the point where the pastor is teaching something that is clearly from the word and you are hearing in that thing and you can hear it because I don't understand, for example, how you have people who are living, you are living with a man that you are not married to. You are in a church where you are being taught that fornication is wrong. Do you understand me? That premarital sex is wrong. You are constantly coming to that church and you are still doing that thing. And we're not talking about something like you were taking it for one week. Do you understand? And that's it. We're saying you constantly come to the church in certain crazy contexts, you are even serving. And you are still doing that. Ah, see, hardness of mind get level. <laughs> There's a number that is that beyond hardness. Do you that is that your mind, your, your heart is no more hardened. Your heart has become cement. Do you understand? It's not containing it. It has become concrete. That's what your heart has become. Because that's on another level. Do you understand? So you must ensure that you have a heart that can still be corrected by the word. That God's word can come at you and you can receive it and you can receive corrections. You can receive instructions when God's word is stopped. Now that is how to receive the word. Now that's a why. That's a why. So when you recognize that, but every time when I come to receive God's word, I come to receive correction. I come to receive a strengthening in my life. You know, I love the word. I love the way the word correction is used. The word correction in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 is the word epanotosis. It means to straighten out something. It means, I think sometimes you need that Sunday to reconfigure your brain. You, you actually need it. You know, sometimes, if you are being honest, oh, my God, can share me out that week. Oh, can share you. You are not doing anyhow. You know, you are not doing your head any, you are doing anyhow, you are, you know, talking anyhow, sounding anyhow. But you are not looking forward to Sunday. That pastor will give me brain. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not doing that. No, I'm not being serious. But I know that if I enter that place, give me like 30 minutes. You know, I was talking to one of you jokingly a while ago. And then, you know, we were also talking about something like that. And he was saying, he just said, what's that? He said, me and Stephanie, you know, that this thing, that I'm, not, I'm just not serious, actually, with this. I'm not serious. But I'm just looking forward to that prayer meeting. I know that by the time we enter that prayer meeting, after like 30 minutes, my brain will, it will reset. It will rearrange. That's actually good Christian behavior. Now, that's not to say that he, he shouldn't have stopped what he was doing earlier, all right? Or he should have corrected himself earlier. But the point of it is just that 
that's someone who is looking forward to the meeting knowing he's going to receive corrections and directions and he already has a hand that is willing to receive instructions and corrections in that meeting he already has such a hand and that is a christian thing to do so you must have that perspective towards god's word i'm coming to god's word to receive correction i'm coming with to god's word with meekness so don't just show up every night for meetings and you already you know you are not intending to do anything with the word no 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 so you must you show up with meekness in your heart what does god's word say about this what does god's word say about this i receive it with meekness and i correct myself i correct myself doesn't matter for how long i've had that ideology if i can see it properly explained in scripture what do i do i correct myself i change for the better now that's how things are done and so it continues he didn't say this so he says lay apart all filthiness so filthiness that would mean any form of impurity in your mind any form of dishonor and disdain for the word in your mind he says leave it aside don't just take god's word as the words of men you know paul spoke about this go to first thessalonians let me show you that first thessalonians first thessalonians 2 and verse 13. for this cause also we thank we god without ceasing because when you receive the word of god which he heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually works also in you that believe. All right. So you did not just receive it as the word of men, you receive it as God's word. That's how to receive the word. So there is meekness in your mind. So it tells you, you know, do away with all filthiness, every superficial of nothingness, receive with meekness the engrafted word. And now, when it comes to the engrafted word, that's also another very important part. Interesting, it seems like I'll be able my series today. But, anyways, when it comes to the engrafted word, the word engrafted is actually a word that means. The implanted word. Remember, he already tells you that of his own will begot us by the word of his truth. So he already lets you know we are men begotten by the word. That's our very nature. He now tells you receive with meekness the implanted word. Meaning, you not only are you born by the word, you now receive of that word by which you are born. Are you with me? Because don't forget, as I said before. All of the realities of God are present in your spirits. He has given you his spirit. First Corinthians 6 and verse 17. You know, um, he that is joined with the Lord is one spirit with God. So spiritually, or by your spirit, you are in union with God. You are, you, you are one with God. However, your mind needs a renewal. Your mind needs renewing. So he tells you that what you are then supposed to do is to receive of the realities of your spirits. So he says, receive the engrafted word. The implanted word. Receive the word by which you were born. And this is the basis for which you can receive God's word. This is the reason a, spirit, a natural man cannot receive of God's word. He can receive because they are foolishness unto him. They are spiritually descent. But the spiritual man judges all things. You can understand because you have the Holy Ghost. We have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit which is of God. By which we may know the things that are freely given to us of God. First Corinthians 2, I think verse 12. So in this world, you have the Holy Ghost you can understand. And you can understand because, all right, you are receiving of that of which you are born. That of which you are born. So then you come around to receive God's word in meekness. I come to learn. So every time when we come around to learn God's word, we are coming to learn of the reality of our spirits. To what end? That our minds are renewed and we can begin to walk and made up to become. That's our reality. That's why we come to learn the word. Hallelujah. Go back to James 1 and verse 18. James 1 verse 18. So it tells you, receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now let's continue. 
He then says in the following verse, verse 22, he says, But be doers of the word, and not here as only deceiving yourself. And this is where it ends in. Be a doer of the word. Be a doer of the word. Have a, have a life or have a heart that wants to do God's work. Don't just be someone who, you see, don't get to the point where you get so used to God's work, it doesn't cost you to do. There is no point learning God's work if you are going to do this, to be honest. You have to do, you have to do the work. So have a mindset where as I'm living, as, as I go to learn God's work, I live with assignment. I live with this is what I'm going to do after today. How do you, for example, and you see, I, 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 need to, I need to say this. How do you learn God's word in a place like Caruso ministry? And you're not given to evangelism and disciples. You, you need to understand. It takes a certain level of I'm just not interested in to be that way. That's the honest truth. The extent to which we emphasize discipleship, training men, being effective in the preaching of the gospel. If as of now, you still are not taking it seriously, you need to understand what it is. It's not that you're not being taught it from God's word. All right? It's not that, you know, it's not properly explained. It's just that you've decided to intentionally uninterest yourself or disinterest yourself in it. Because you must also understand something, I'm going to say it now, is that in this same place where, and it's something that I've come to learn, of course, as a Bible teacher, that people will always have varying responses to God's word. Because if you understand that in this same place where you are being cajoled to do discipleship, there are people who are consistent. And when I say consistent, I mean they are consistent with their preaching of the gospel and their discipleship of people. Let me tell you in simple terms. There will be a witness against you. It's not, you need to understand, when this kind of thing is not work of the law. You understand? It's not, um, it's not legality. It's in Christ. If both of you are learning God's word together, and the same God's word is provoking someone to go out to preach the gospel and to disciple people and to be serious and effective with it, and you are hearing the same thing, and it's going through, as they say, the left ear coming out of the right or the right ear coming out of the left, and you're not doing anything with it. It's a witness against you. It's not, you need to realize, it's not, I'm not the best person to say that somebody is a witness against you. Jesus said the same thing. He said the same thing, you know. He said he spoke about it to, you know, he was talking to um uh what's the name now to Jerusalem, all right. And you know, he was saying that if the prophets you have today, Sodom and Gomorrah had those prophets, all right, he said they would have changed. He said those people will start as a witness against you. Do you understand? So it is it's not it's not out of the Bible to say certain things or certain people will stand as witnesses against us, it's the truth, it's the honest truth. So you need to realize, you have to come to learn God's word with a mindset of doing it. You have to. You have to. Enough with learning so much about the healing power of God. And then the first time you fall sick, the first thing that comes to your mind, get the drug. It's terrible. You, you need to know. It's not, I have no problem with people using drugs. I actually, I actually do, genuinely do not have any problem. Even though I don't use drugs, but I have no problem with it. But at least, let your first response be the power of God. Be your first response. Let it be the power of God. That's it. God's word is learned to do. So you must be intentional about doing God's word. You must want to do it. You must. How, how do you, for example, you are learning God's word, growing in, in knowledge of God's word, all right? You are not intentional 
about seeing yourself get better with the things of the spirit. When was the last time you gave a word? Don't don't those things randomly just come pop up in your mind. When did that give you for the knowledge? You know, you should because like I don't know if it's just because I just so randomly I just think I'm the Holy Ghost now. Like I just think about it, like it doesn't cost me. I'm the Holy Ghost. When does I see a vision? That's how you should think. When does I say when does that get somebody here? When last this is a very key song and key one, and I'm going to teach about it in the next series. All right, one of the topic that got laid in my heart. When last was I genuinely annoyed at the activity of the devil? Let me uh, uh, see. One of the evidence of a good spiritual health is that activities of the devil annoy you, they provoke an anger in you. See, if you see things happening, all right, things that by discernment you know this is an operation of the devil. And it doesn't stir up an anger in you. Ah, stop. There's something going wrong. There are certain things that you must see and it must provoke you. You get off your chair and you say, Devil, get out of here. There will be things like that. And if you don't have that response to the devil's antics and his plans and the things he does, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. So you need to have a mindset where. I'm coming to learn God's word to do. I'm not just coming to learn God's word to have this in my head. I'm not coming to learn God's word to be able to say, I know about this stuff. No. I'm coming to learn God's word to do. So, for example, we've seen tenses of the new creation. Why have, why have we been teaching on this series? What does it do to you when you understand that you have the assurance of salvation? When you understand that now that you are saved in Christ Jesus, you are not saved by works, but you are saved so that you can do good works. What does that do to you? Does it provoke you to live a better life? Those are questions you need to ask yourself. Or does it make you feel, oh, I'm saved in Christ, I can just do anyhow. I mean, if you listen to these things as, as well as I've taught it, there is no reason why you should still think that way. If you do, <laughs> out in the name of Jesus. You know, that's the truth. So why are we learning it? Why do you learn, for example, that I justified? What implication does it have on your life? You know what it means? It means to me that God is not against me and that he's always for me. That's what it means that I'm justified, that I've been declared righteous. It means I can stand before God without any sense of guilt. It means when I stand before God, God doesn't remind me. Do you remember 17th of October 2020, 2012? Took, that's not my God. Hallelujah. Because he has, he has declared me righteous. He has justified me. And in justifying me, he is just. So you must understand the implication. So now you have to then begin to live your Christian life intentionally. It's not just it's not just a mistake kind of life. You are intentional about it as a function of that which you have learned from God's word. Now that's how to be a doer of the word. That's how to be a doer. So for some of you, what you need to do is to go back to sermons and go and listen. You you heard it as an academic thing. Now it's time to hear it as a child of God. It's time to understand that topic in light of what you can do. That's how to do God's work. Hallelujah. And I think maybe I'm saying this because KBC is coming. Right? And see, let me tell you, in a meeting like KBC, it is very easy to just go the intellectual rounds. It is extremely easy because you need to understand. We are going to go in academic and scholastic. Do you understand? So it's very easy for you to just forget that this is God's word. And it's not just some academic journal. Do you understand? It's not just some THM. 103, 102 or something. No, this is God's word. And 
if you don't pay attention and actually sit down and learn it as God's word, you will have so much knowledge in your head, but nothing in your heart. So much knowledge in your head, but you will live your life anyhow. Are you with me? And so, let me round up on what he's saying here. So he tells you to be doers of the word, and not hearers only to submit your own selves. He says, for even if you are a hearer of the word, not a doer. He says, it's like also a man who beholds his natural face in the glass. And this is beautiful. Because just explain what I was saying before. Now, when you look at yourself, in, when you look at a glass, by glass it means mirror. When you look at a glass or a mirror, what you see is a reflection of yourself. You are not seeing someone else. You are actually seeing yourself. So it tells you, whenever a man, a, whenever a man is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like also a man that beholds his natural face in the glass. He, be, he beholds himself, goes his way, and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. So the problem with this man is not that he did not look. It's not that he did not open his Bible to see. It's not that he did not come around for the Christian meetings. It's not that he didn't come around for the teaching meetings. He came. He listened. He probably rejoiced. Woo-hoo! Glory, glory. He did. But guess what? As he was leaving, he forgot. And you see, this is one of the reasons why I will always be, I'm going to say this, I'm always going to be a very strong advocate for this. It might not always be the best thing to play so much after this. I know it's the best thing. Don't get me wrong. I play after service. So I mean, I mean, if you know the unit that we church after service, we are, we are actually the goofiest students in my church, actually. So I take them out to play and stuff like that. But you see, sometimes it doesn't help you. Sometimes it doesn't help. You. That's the truth. Because you see, there must be an intentionality with after you've learned God's word, you are living, and then your, your heart is ruminating on what you've learned. That is how you are a doer. Because what makes a man a hearer and not a doer is that he looks into the perfect law of liberty, or he looks into the world, he beholds himself, goes away and forgets the kind of man he was. Notice he still what he's looking at is a reflection of himself. Receive with meekness the implanted word. So you are not receiving something that you are not. No. You are not receiving more spirits. No. You are only receiving of your spirit. You are receiving from God's word the reality of who you already are. That's what, so that's why it says he's looking into the mirror. When you look into the mirror, what are you seeing? You see yourself. But guess what? As he looks, he lives there and then he forgets. That's the problem with the hearer. So the issue with the hearer, in fact, is not that he did not want to do. But the issue with the hearer, however, is that when he was coming to learn God's word, he could have been intentional about his plans to go back to the world when he's living. Are you with me? So, in as much as, of course, I mean, I want to believe that when it comes to church, you actually have the intentions of doing God's word. I want to believe so. All right? But the problem with the era who is not a doer is that he has forgotten that there are a lot of things that are competing with God's word. They are competing for his attention with God's word. And so, he has to be intentional about taking steps to ensure that God's word does not leave his subconscious. He has to ensure that. That's his responsibility. Because look at the doer of the word. He says, verse 25, he said, but also look at into the perfect law of liberty. So just like looking into the mirror, he looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues daring. He says, he may not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. He says, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, pay attention to this. He says, verse, um, sorry, who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues daring. Now, the word daring there, now, a lot of people think when he says continuous daring, that 
it means that he looks into the Bible of liberty and then he now does what he saw, what he saw in the Bible of liberty. Not necessarily. Now, the word there and there, if you notice, if you use KJV or, yeah, if you use KJV most of the time or certain versions, you will notice that the word there is in Eclipse. But even in Eclipse, it lets you know that that word was not there initially. It was added by translators to aid understanding. Unfortunately, that verse has, that particular word has caused a problem. Because if you were to remove that word daring, because it was added, and just read it the way it was in the originals, it would say, if any, if, but whosoever looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continuing. So what, what happens there? He looks into the perfect law of liberty and he continues looking. He says, he be not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. The man will be blessed on his deeds. So the problem, or what makes a doer separate from a hearer, is that the doer has created a system in which he can constantly go back to the word in order that he does not forget. Because you see, what causes a man to do the word is that he remembers it. You need to know, you are born of the word. Your very nature is the word. You naturally respond to God's word. So in reality, it will put you in front of God's word constantly. Your mind will be renewed. So at the end of the day, what, what needs to be done in order for you not to do the word is that somehow that flow with which you are constantly beyond um, God's word has to cease. The moment that flow ceases and you no longer see God's word, you no longer walk according to God's word. But if God's word is constantly placed before you, so much so that it is in your consciousness, guess what happens? You respond to it. Because that's your nature. And that's the reason if you read the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower, and I think that was Mark, I think Mark, Mark 4, Matthew 13, I think so. If you read the parable of the sower, in all of the examples, whether those who, the seeds that fell on stony grounds, the one that fell among thorns, all right, that um you know uh, i think which other one again aside the one that fell on good soil um fell among thoughts i can't remember the other one when you pay attention to all of them you realize that the problem with all of them was simple was that the ones that did not yield fruits just did not have enough time to stay in the heart of the person that was it so for example the one that fell on stony ground it had no roots and then the sun came and it scorched it up so there was not he didn't have time to stay. Of course, the first set of people are those who are excited. So those are the ones that just fell on the wayside. Do you understand me? And so, of course, the birds of the air just came and ate them up. And then there are those that fell among thorns. They were beginning to grow roots. But what happened? The thorns choked it. All right? So he says, when the deceitfulness of this world, the fear of this world and the deceitfulness of riches came. So the problem with it again is he didn't have enough time to bear roots. But what happened with the one that was that, that was soon on good soil what there was enough time to bear roots if the word stayed a while and then it began to use food so what separates the doer of the word from here is not intention but the difference is that the one who does the word has maybe found himself in a system who has created a system where He's constantly listening to God's word. He's constantly beholding God's word. And as such, because he is born of the word, he responds to God's word. He does. So maybe what you need to do God's word is to create a system where you constantly hear the word. 
constantly hear the word. There's something that we do in on the WhatsApp group, right? For folks who are on the WhatsApp group, anyways, right? Where we have sermons that we listen to maybe every once in two days, once in three days, and but now we stop it because people are writing exams, all right? But we do something like that, and the only reason we do that is you need to create an environment where you are constantly put around God's word. There's something about just constantly listening to the word that gets you up and active spiritually. It does something to you. So you have to learn to create an environment of supernatural inspiration. You, you need to learn it. You envy, you see, let me say, let me say it. You have to learn, particularly in, the, in this world that we are in, you're going to have to learn to create a bubble around yourself. I'm telling you, one thing for some of you, one of the reasons why you're always constantly depressed, why you're always constantly, you know, unsure about life and so on and so forth, is because you take in too much information. That's the truth. And if you want information that will scare you to the point where you'll be scared of everything, you will find it. Do you understand? That's why some of our parents, they always find, if we are supposed to live according to the visits that some of our parents send us, we'll just live in the stone age. No phone, no gas, you know, no cars. No, you'll just be living somewhere, you know, and stuff like that. You can't afford to take all of those information in. You have to learn to create a bubble. And there's no better way to create a bubble than to fill your mind with God's word. Do you understand me? So you create a bubble around yourself. Words of faith. Words of faith. Words of power. Words of illumination. You will realize at that point in time that subconsciously, your first response to things will be spiritual. You will realize. It will not shock you. You won't be able to explain why. But you don't realize that the, the way you respond to things first will always be spiritual. Why? Because now you have, you have, you have created a pathway. You set yourself up to be a doer of the word. To be a doer of the word. So, I think I'm just going to, I mean, time is long gone, so I'm just going to stop here, right? By saying, know why we do what we are doing. Why? So now it makes sense why I wake up in the morning, and the first thing I want to hear is a sermon. The first thing I want to hear is what pastor thought yesterday. The first thing I want to hear is, you know, God's word concerning this. God's word concerning that. It makes sense. Why? Because what I'm doing to myself is that I'm setting myself up to be a doer of the word. That's what I'm doing. I'm setting myself up to be a doer of the word. And you see, I mean, glory to God, you know, we have a very robust curriculum, very extensive one. Embed yourself in that in an environment of the word. And in these last days, you will need it. You will. You will need it. There's so much happening everywhere. Do you understand? Shut down the stimulation. It's too much. G, Twitter, just boost it. Calm down. Bye. So much social media. I don't, I don't know. The reality of it is, let's not forget spiritual things. The truth is, you can't be productive in any of your life like that. You're always online, always online, always positive. Calm down. Calm down. That drop your phone and touch God. Right? So that's an instruction. Why? Why are you learning what you are? Why are you learning God's word? To be a doer. How, how are you a doer? Step yourself up to be a doer. Give yourself to the learning of the word. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We're sure that it was an amazing time. For questions and inquiries, reach out to us on carysoul.mini at gmail.com. We call you blessed.